0: This is God's word. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were complaining. Jacob has taken everything that belonged to our father. He has gotten rich at our father's expense. When Jacob saw the look on Laban's face, he could tell his attitude toward him had changed. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. I will be with you. So, Jacob sent a message for Rachel and Leah to come to the field where his flocks were. There he said to them, I can tell that your father's attitude toward me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father as hard as I could, but your father has humiliated me and changed my wages 10 times, but God has not permitted him to do me any harm. Once during the breeding season, I saw in a dream that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, and spotted. In the dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, here I am, I replied. Then he said, observe that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have observed all that Laban has done to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the sacred stone and made a vow to me. Now leave this land immediately and return to your native land. Well, then Rachel and Leah replied to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Hasn't he treated us like foreigners? He not only sold us, but completely wasted the money paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God snatched away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So now, do everything God has told you. While Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole the household idols that belonged to her father. Jacob also deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was leaving. He left with all he owned. He quickly crossed the Euphrates River and headed for the hill country of Gilead. Three days later, Laban discovered Jacob had left. So he took his relatives with him and pursued Jacob for seven days. He caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and warned him, Be careful. "'that you neither bless nor curse, Jacob. "'What have you done?' Laban demanded of Jacob. "'You've deceived me and carried away my daughters "'as if they were captives of war. "'Why did you run away secretly and deceive me? "'Why didn't you tell me so I could send you off "'with a celebration complete with singing "'and tambourines and harps? "'You didn't even allow me to kiss my daughters "'and my grandchildren goodbye. "'You have acted foolishly. "'I have the power to do you harm.' But the God of your father told me last night, be careful that you neither bless nor curse Jacob. Now I understand that you have gone away because you longed desperately for your father's house. Yet, why did you steal my gods? I left secretly because I was afraid, Jacob replied to Laban. I thought you might take your daughters away from me by force. Whoever has taken your gods will be put to death. In the presence of our relatives, identify whatever is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Now Rachel had taken the idols and put them inside her camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban searched the whole tent but did not find them. Rachel said to her father, Do not be angry, my lord. I cannot stand up in your presence because I am having my period. So he searched thoroughly but did not find the gods, the idols. Jacob became angry and argued with Laban. "'What did I do wrong?' he demanded of Laban. "'What sin of mine prompted you to chase after me in hot pursuit? "'When you searched through all my goods, did you find anything that belonged to you? "'Set it here before my relatives and yours, and let them settle the dispute between the two of us. "'If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the one whom Isaac fears, had not been with me, "'you would certainly have sent me away empty-handed.' But God saw how I was oppressed and how hard I worked, and he rebuked you last night. Laban replied to Jacob, These women are my daughters. These children are my grandchildren. These flocks are my flocks. All that you see belongs to me. But how can I harm these daughters of mine today or the children to whom they have given birth? So now, come, let's make a formal agreement, you and I, and it will be proof that we have made Peace. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a memorial pillar. Then he said to his relatives, Gather stones. So they brought stones and put them in a pile. They ate there by the pile of stones. Laban said, This pile of stones is a witness of our agreement today. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the gods of their father, judge between us. Jacob took an oath by the God whom his father Isaac feared. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain. A lot happening, but with, with this dramatic story to guide us, uh, I want to talk about mixed motives today. Uh, why do you do the things you do? That's the question. Why do you do the things you do? I, I, I think we could all agree, perhaps, um, that there's there's not a moment in our life, not an action that we take that does not have uh, many different motivations underneath it. Of course, we can easily think of the examples of, of the two-faced person, the person who does something, uh, you know, for show, does something that looks really great to others, but really they're doing it because they want to get attention, uh, you know, and, and of course nonprofits and whatnot uh, lean into that, like, you know, uh, putting the names up of the biggest donors or, you know, certain gifts, you know, uh, different honors, naming the hospital wing after the person. Um, of course, you know, what uh, I experienced this, not, not you know, you guys kind of know me or are more relaxed with me, but, um, you know, I experienced experience this out and about. If if someone lets a, a bad word slip in front of me, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor. You know, it's like, just be, you, you don't need to put on a show. Um, like to make the holy man think you're something, um, you know. Uh, it's like we we just we have all this stuff we put on shows where, and that that's because our motives are mixed. Um, it, the The reality is we we often Jesus nails us to the wall in this in the Sermon on the Mount. We we do acts of righteousness for for reasons other than uh, than the Lord's. Uh, nearness, reasons other than sort of what he calls heavenly rewards. We want attention. We it may give us more social or community power. And 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 the truth is, those deep motives underneath. If if the if the good things fail to get us what we really want, many of us will then try the not so good things to get what we really want. That's the reality of our mixed motives. Um, I, I, I suspect that you like me, would only need a few minutes to dig into even the, the best things that you've done in your life and find there were some good reasons and some not so good reasons. You did it. But it actually works in both directions. Did you guys know there's good motives underneath many of the worst things that we do? Uh, we're, we're complicated. Um, a, a longing for peace may drive someone to anger or to, or to Drunkenness, a longing for intimacy and connection may drive someone to pornography, a longing for power to do good in the world may drive a business to shady practices in order to, to you know, have more profit and do the good things that they hope to do later. Our hearts are just a battlefield, aren't they? They're just a battlefield, an endless war between self-reliance and God-dependence. And the war is on full display in almost every person in this story that we just heard. So let's talk about Jacob's story, his, his, he and his family's flight from Laban. His story is a retelling of a previous story. It's a retelling of Abraham's story. In a way, Jacob is becoming more like Abraham than ever before. He's actually near where Abraham originally lived when God called Abraham to leave his family and his home and and to go to the land that he would show him. Similarly, God appears to Jacob in a dream and tells him to do the same thing, leave just like Abraham, and he goes. But his story is also looking forward. It's looking forward to Israel's story. Remember the first people who are hearing these stories are the people of Israel rescued from Egypt. They've left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness. And along the way, Pharaoh chased them before they before they crossed the Red Sea. I mean, think about the story of Jacob. He he came to Laban's house, welcomed as a family member. And then a month later, Laban puts him to work and and he ends up feeling like he's being treated like a slave. He's being He's by his own account. He's being mistreated. His wages get changed ten times. It's a moving target. He has to cover costs that himself that should have been covered by Laban. He feels it's a, an unfair situation. And while he's living in Laban's area, he multiplies. You know, last week he looked at the the birth of his first twelve children of thirteen. Um, it, he's you know his his tribe got a lot bigger during his time with Laban. But even as he multiplied, he wasn't given anything. And, and so he left. He tells us to expect persecution. He tells us not to be surprised when family members turn on one another in our own families. He wants us to be on our guard for two-faced leaders, he, which, whom he calls wolves in, in sheep's clothing. I mean, Jesus ties the life of his followers to situations very much like what Jacob and Laban are going through. So if this story is Israel's story and our story, it's very uncomfortably revealing to us. Who in this story is operating with pure motives? Tell me the person. No one is. Who who in this story is not a wolf in sheep's clothing? They're looking to destroy others for their own well-being. So there's, there's five sort of root motives that are driving behaviors in this that I just wanna look at real quick, all right? The motives on display. The first big obvious motive that we see that perhaps we can identify with is greed. The, the story starts with Laban's sons being like, hey, that's our, all those flocks are our inheritance, and Jacob has taken all of them away. We skipped the previous story where Jacob goes has this scheme and, and basically gets all of Laban's flocks. I mean, that this guy is stealing from them, and, and Laban has greedily done his best to prevent it. And he's driven not only by the loss of his family, but also the loss of his stuff. He says, oh, everything that you have is mine. And he's, he's mad about it. Of course, Jacob is pleased to have gotten everything that he has. I mean, everyone's being driven by greed in this story. Okay. Sorry for the accusation, but you don't realize how greedy you are. I, I don't realize how greedy I am. Here's what we do, you guys. It's so sneaky. We can, we can easily look at the person who has just one degree more than what we have and think, yeah, I'm like, I don't have too much. Look at that. You know, you wherever you live, you're aware of the, the the home or the person in your area who who's living a little bit nicer than you. <laughs> Whatever you have, you're aware of people who have similar amounts and are using it a little bit more selfishly than you. So we all talk ourselves out of greed. This is what we do. We we all think well, oh, that's not that we, we justify it regularly. And Frankly, greed is, it's a hard one to pin down. The line between being sort of responsible with stuff and greedy, where is that line? It's, it's fuzzy. But here, here's just a rule of thumb. In any case, when things become more important than people, greed is at work. When things become more important than people. People are more important than things. My kids have to hear me say this to them all the time when they're you know, arguing over some dumb toy that should, have, should be broken and in the trash. Anyway, that's the first motivation. Second, we see fear or self-preservation, which is just a nice way to say fear. Why does, why does a snake strike at somebody's ankle? You know, if, the, if you walk past a, a snake on the hiking trail, it's because the snake is afraid, right? It's not, it's not trying to hunt you. Um, it, it thinks that you're a threat. Our passage opens with a brooding storm. Jacob can read a room. He's like, I, my life's in danger. My family's life is in danger. So he, Laban is a threat to him. And of course, yes, Jacob gets a word from God, right? He has a dream. God, God speaks to him, tells him to leave but it's very conveniently timed, isn't it? Jacob noticed that he was in danger right before that. And based on what we know about Jacob, I'm not sure that he would have cared what God had to say if everything was going great for him at the time when God gives him a dream and tells him to leave. We don't know, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Because everything we've seen about Jacob is just looking out for number one so far. It's convenient that, you know, it, that it's like when I was a senior in high school and had to tell Bonnie that God was telling me to break up with her, you know, <laughs> like kind of make, get God gets you off the hook a little bit. Um, right. So th- this, this is what happens in, in uh, Jacob's story. He he's, he's driven by fear. He's, it, that's his deep motivation. And of course, how often is it fear that that's driving us to do the good things or the bad things that we do? Trying to protect ourselves, trying to ensure our well-being, or or that we'll still have friends or influence or power or whatever. Third motivation, spite. <laughs> spite or vengeance. Oh, it's it's kind of sad when Jacob he's he pulls Leah and Rachel, Laban's daughters, into the field at the beginning. And he says, look, I God, I had a dream, God told me to leave. And they're like, you think we care about this guy? He sold us like we're like we're products to you. And then he wastes the money. He he doesn't care about us. Everything that you've taken from him, we we rightfully deserve it. Let's go. Forget that guy. I mean, they are they are spiteful. It, there's no sense of obedience that's driving the their desire to leave. We have evidence that they don't really even believe in the God of Abraham and Isaac. They're just like, great, forget that guy. The spiteful drive of the daughters gets even worse when you see the next scene. Rachel goes into Laban's house and steals these things that, that, that our translation calls his household gods. Now this is not the normal word for idols or or false gods. It's it's referring to little objects that would be in the house, and and it is most likely a little idol, a little object for worship, maybe in a little family shrine that Laban would have had set up. But there's some you know some scholars think it could also be a, a um, like an object that would represent sort of passing on the inheritance of the family or or the power in the family. So. You know, so what she may be doing, she's either stealing the gods that that she and Laban think are creating Laban's wealth, or she's stealing the objects that years later they can return back to Laban's property and say, this all belongs to us. We have the deed, so to speak. So, I mean, she is really sticking it to her dad when she does this, right? No one in this story is really a faithful believer in the one true God. Not yet. Jacob's still using God. He, he certainly, he he speaks of God in as, you know, not as his God, but the God of my grandfather and the God of my father, right? He, he's not speaking of him as his own God. You know, you may wonder, like, why is someone in the the chosen people of God, the line of God, stealing idols and getting away with it? Well, it's because... She's she as far as she's concerned, you just figure out the gods that'll work best for you. That she doesn't have the law, she doesn't have priests, she doesn't have, you know, Moses and Aaron laying down the the picture of what uh worship of the one true God looks like. I mean, she hasn't had any faith passed along to her. In the last story that that Shana talked about last week, she's you know, she's making a deal to get the mandrakes because She thinks these roots have spiritual power to help her get pregnant. She's a a pagan. So she's hoping these idols will help her out and ruin her dad. Spite. Spite. I won't won't, uh, do examples of how spite may be driving you, but I I hope it's not. (laughs) Uh, But You know, even when we come to the table, you guys, before we come to the table, it's a great time to think, Is there anyone that I'm holding on to a desire for vengeance? And let go of it before you come to the table. Fourth motivation is self-justification. This story, I think it is mocking Jacob. All right, I think it's it's embarrassing Jacob. here's, Here's what we see. Laban, Jacob flees. You know, Rachel steals the thing. Laban catches up to him. Laban accuses them of stealing the things, and Jacob goes on this tirade against you know against Laban. I have done nothing but good for you, and you've done nothing but bad to me. I'm a victim. You can you can search everything, you won't find anything. And hey, death to the person who stole it. That's how sure I am that we've done nothing wrong. You know? Do you feel the dramatic tension there? You're like. Oh my gosh! His beloved is the one who stole it. The, his favorite person. Uh, it's ah, oh, it's it's uh, such a tense moment, and and there is Jacob. Just I cut out a bunch of his speech, you guys. I mean, he is going point by point by point by point. I mean, he's got some spite too. Maybe self justification leads to spite. I mean, he. This isn't a guy who moves into the area of his father-in-law and thinks, I just want to help out. That's not who this is. This is a guy who is keeping score every step of the way. He he remembers all of it. He's got a thorough accounting of all of the wrongs done to him. And he, he is holding it over his father's head. Why did he leave He left because Laban owed him and Laban could never repay. That's why he left. Laban comes saying, you took my family. And Jacob replies, no, I'm the victim here. I'm the victim. There's never a word of remorse. There's never a hint of an apology. Not the whole time. You did this to me, Laban. I'm innocent. How much is self-justification underneath our own actions? Look, those of us who have worked to understand our own addictions and the whole world of addictions this is a common storyline in the world of addictions you know when when you, you fall off the wagon in whatever category you're usually blaming someone else they did this to me I'm doing this because of them I need this because they took something I needed away remember though after all of that our motives can be mixed in both directions. The last motive that I want to look at in this in this passage is surprising one. It's it's love, love. Um, perhaps the most surprising twist in this whole story is Laban, because Laban has been a jerk the whole time. He has. Laban's been a jerk. Jacob's been a jerk. They've just been trying to be bigger jerks to each other. You know, it's been a contest all along the way taking advantage of each other left and right. But the words that he gives to Jacob are not entirely, you robbed me there. You took my family, man. You took my daughters and my grandkids. You didn't even let me say goodbye. Well, it's father's day and we get to look at the heart of a father here. He is a wounded dad. I mean, yeah. Okay. Laban has a dream where God tells him, don't harm Jacob. Um, Jacob gives him this big speech with all the reasons why Jacob's right and Laban's wrong. But did those have any effect on Laban? It doesn't seem he doesn't refer to those at all. He mentions he mentions the dream, which Jacob uses against him. But um, but at the end, it's his love for his family that drives him to do what he does. The surprising twist in all of it is there's no battle. No one no one gets out a sword. No one tries to take anything back from anyone else. Laban, what, what, you know, it's the tension builds and builds and builds and builds, and then Laban all of a sudden says, for their sake, let's make peace, for their sake. He has love for his daughters and his grandkids, surely not Jacob, and that's why he does what he does. So if our motives are mixed, how can we begin to understand ourselves in a better way? Well, sometimes stories like this help us to examine ourselves. Perhaps one of these things underneath are, are connecting to you, but, but your emotions, especially your big emotions, are, are a clue. Especially the big, you know, big emotions of anger or sadness. These, these things, when we act out big, those, those are a clue an opportunity to do some digging. What made me feel so strongly about that? Because usually those things come at a surprising time. You're like, why was I so mad about that, right? Um, This is, this story shows us that there are, what are, what, you know, in the counseling world are called soft emotions, hidden underneath the hard ones. To all of our people who are counselors and went to seminary for this, I'm about to I'm about to give a really simplistic picture of emotionally focused therapy and and I'm sorry about that. Okay, so here here's the deal. Um, This philosophy in counseling called emotionally focused therapy. uh, It's this this idea that human emotions are connected to human needs, right? And and so our emotions, you know, if we understand our emotions, it can help us to. It gives potential for a- adaptation in our lives. We can change if we activate and work through our emotions. We can we can change problematic emotional states and even affect our relationships with other people. That's the theory. Okay, so in emotionally focused therapy, with the guidance of a therapist, you can start with your big hard emotions and dig underneath to those st- those soft tender ones. Isn't that what happens in the story? It starts with Laban saying, "I want to kill him." And it ends with Laban saying, "I'm I'm sad because my daughters were taken away." This process helps us decipher what we deeply think we need. And if that need is legitimate or not, and if the way we're trying to meet it is legitimate or not. That's that's what it helps us process. Jacob is most certainly not a therapist. Laban. But Laban does go through that process here. The even more surprising twist in this story than the fact that Laban ends up being the one with the good motive underneath his behaviors is that his story is illustrating God's story throughout. Scripture. Consider this. In the opening scenes of the Bible, the serpent is working to take god's kids away from him using deception to remove god's kids and and succeeds later on the the builders of babel babel the tower of babel who are god's kids themselves they're building this thing so that they don't need god anymore you know they're removing themselves just like laban's daughters and here In the least surprising twist of the story, Jacob is yet again acting as the serpent, yet again deceiving someone and stealing the forbidden fruit. Jacob deceives Laban when he steals his fruitful daughters away. In fact, our our translation says it like this. Um, Verse 20, Jacob deceived Laban. All right, but the literal translation is, oh man, it just hits you. Here's what it says in the Hebrew. Jacob stole the heart of Laban. I mean, he cut him deep when he took his daughters away. That's not thats not somebody's posturing. That's the text telling us what's happening underneath. His heart was stolen, a heart perhaps that Laban didn't even know he had until it was gone. Rachel and Leah, they weren't wrong when they described his treatment of them. But underneath it all, he still loved them. The story of Scripture, the whole big story, could be framed as a loving father on a mission to get his kids back, chasing after them. Jesus is summarizing the whole story of scripture when he tells the the parable of the prodigal son. The son leaves, you know, flipping his father off in the process, and the father's heart is yearning for his return. That's the story of the whole Bible. And that's what we see here. So how does Laban show his love for his daughters and his grandkids? He calls on God as his witness. He sets up a stone and he lets them go. Do you realize that the end of this story is the last time he will see his daughters and grandkids? Last time. That's how he loves them. He sacrifices for their well-being. Laban is the last guy you'd ever expect to show us what God is like. And he is previewing God's greatest act of love in all of history. A father motivated by his love for his children, giving his only begotten son even unto death to save his children and bring us home. Okay, so all of us, even the fathers among us, Do every single part of our lives, even caring for our kids, with mixed motives. Perhaps one way you could benefit from this story is becoming more aware of your own stuff. All right? I invite you to do that self-reflection. Confess it. Surrender it to God. It will affect you less, even just being aware of it. But the bigger benefit is what those mixed motives can show you underneath those mixed motives is an opportunity to see God. That's what that's how Jesus teaches it. When he's teaching on prayer, he speaks directly to fathers. Even in, our, even in our broken fatherhood, he says this, if you, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? The deep understanding of what fatherhood is meant to be, that all of us carry, whether we had really broken situations with our own dads, whether we have struggled and failed as dads ourselves, the deep understanding that we carry of what it's meant to be is a clue to who God really is. He is the giver of perfect gifts for his kids' well-being. And the gift of the Spirit is, it is the seal of adoption. It's bringing us into his family by the sacrifice of the father and the son, the father who gives his son, the son who gives himself, the spirit can bring us home. When Laban and Jacob reached peace, they set up a rock to remember. Rocks, just like the rock that Jacob set up for God's presence after the dream. Just like the rock that covered the well when Jacob m- first met Rachel. Rocks along the way have signified God's presence in this story. They set up a rock and they have a feast. Just like we're about to have. This meal, friends, it's a, it's a peace feast, just like the one Jacob and, and Laban have. It's a peace, It's a feast of reconciliation. Look, when Jesus did the first one of these, what we call the Last Supper, uh, no one else at that table had pure motives. No one else. They thought they did, actually. I mean, they're all saying like, surely surely it won't be me who's going to betray you, Lord. You know, Peter's saying, I'll go with you to the very end. I'll go with you to death. All of that's happening around the table. They all have mixed motives. How do we know? Because in fear and self-preservation, and maybe spite because Jesus didn't behave the way they wanted him to, they all left. Like within 24 hours, they all left. And Jesus knew their hearts at the table on the very night that he was betrayed. Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Think of the Father's heart in that moment, hearing recited what Jesus is about to do. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant and my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death the greatest gift of a wounded father's heart until he comes. Like Laban, he's willing to sacrifice everything to save his kids. Father, thank you for your mercy and your love to us. Thank you that even in Laban, we can see a glimmer of who you are. If Laban, who is evil, knows how to give good gifts to his kids, How much more, Lord, can we understand what you have given to us? So, Lord, thank you for welcoming us to the table today. Help us to make peace, to let go of spite and vengeance in our own lives, to let it go. And instead to receive this meal of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.